All right. Well, we are on week two of a series we're calling The Moral of the Story, and we've been going over parables of Jesus. So we're going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the unmerciful servant. But first, I want to talk about two important things for the believer, two big deals for the believer. And these two big deals are that we need to receive the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And we need to reflect. This is something that believers need. We need to freely receive the good things of God. And top on the list are the love of God and the forgiveness of God. You know, we need direction from God, wisdom from God. We need all kinds of things from God. We want to abide in the vine so that we can receive and produce fruit. So we want to receive from God, but then we need to also reflect. We need to receive the love of God and then reflect the love of God out onto this world. We need to receive forgiveness from God and then reflect forgiveness onto this world. Let's look at a couple of scriptures to kind of drive this point home because that's what these two parables are about. So let's read 1 John 4, 10 and 11. We've read these recently, but let's look at this again. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God loves you. Receive that. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us, which then led to forgiveness. Because God loved us, He wanted us forgiven. Because what happens if we're not forgiven? If we're not forgiven, we get destroyed. If we're not forgiven, you know, the two options when all this is over, will you get the bad one if you're not forgiven? Because all your sins, all your faults, all your failures, all the justice for that falls on you. And the best person in the world doesn't want to be in the place where they're judged because of the worst day they lived in their life. We want to have those days taken away. So that we can be judged by what God thinks of us. The love of God, the mercy of God. So God loved us, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we receive the love of God and we reflect the love of God. We let God love us. We believe that, we grab hold of it, we don't push it aside, but we recognize the love of God for us, the forgiveness that God has given us out of his love, and then we love each other. We reflect that love. Another verse, Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. You might notice some of the language in the the prayer for the offering each week out of this. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So what's the first step? Freely receive. Freely receive of the love of God. Freely receive of the forgiveness of God. Freely receive of the miracles of God, the guidance of God, the wisdom of God, healing from God, all kinds of amazing deliverance from God. Freely receive that. Then you got some experience and you have something to share. Now reflect that. Freely you have received, freely give. So we want to receive the love and forgiveness of God. We want to receive all kinds of things from God. And then we want to reflect that back to this world. The love of God, the forgiveness of God, and all kinds of great things from God. Now we'll go into the Good Samaritan and the Unmerciful Servant. 
The greatest commandment here goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's pick this up in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Kind of sounds like he's testing rather than wanting to learn. Rather than wanting to find out the great truths of God, he's testing Jesus. Now, is it okay to test everything? It's good to test. You know what I mean? The Bible says not to treat prophecies with contempt, but to test everything and to hold on to the good. It's okay. Pay attention. You know, because sometimes something's wrong. I'm going to try to tell you good stuff. But have well-intentioned people ever been wrong on this planet before? Oh, yeah. Might they be again? And maybe I'll be one of those. I'm well-intentioned. Well, what if I make a mistake? Well, don't just swallow it. Study it out yourself. Learn. We want to do that. It's okay to test things. But here you kind of get the flavor that it's, it's a test with the arms folded. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? So Jesus turns it back on him. You asking me the question? I think you're an expert in the law. Maybe you know the answer. Let's hear what you've got to say. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. How's he doing? Well, that's real good. This is the answer Jesus gives when he's asked what's the most important commandment. He gives the love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy has either been there following and understands that, or he is, he is up on the ways of God. Verse 28 you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So here we go. Classic religious person. Knows the book answer, trying to find the loophole, right? <laughs> Knows the book answer. Yeah, but as long as we define neighbor the right way, as long as neighbor only applies to the people I like, and does not apply to the people I don't like, I'll be able to love my neighbor. But I want to make sure that I know the people I can dislike and still be in the middle of the will of God. He wants to justify himself. So presumably, there are people he doesn't like. Who's my neighbor? Now, this is an expert in the law. So he's a Jewish follower of God, an expert in the law. The experts in the law had certain people that they traditionally did not like. For example, one of the groups of people that would not be liked would be the Samaritans. Samaritans were people who were, they were followers of a distorted version of Judaism. And they were, they were mixed race people with the unchosen people. You know, they weren't all Jewish. They were partially Jewish, but they had a whole lot of Gentile blood in them, and they had redone Judaism. In fact, they had their own holy mountain, a different one than the Jews had. They had similar ideas, but they were different. You know how when somebody is close but wrong, it can be irritating. There are groups that, are they Christian groups or not? You know, they're kind of out there. You know, they're not really orthodox Christianity. They're out on the side. So that would be kind of like the Samaritans. They weren't orthodox Jewish people. And they also had the wrong lineage. And so these were people who were looked down on for a couple of reasons. 
I think it's very safe to assume that one of the people groups that this expert in the law wanted to justify his hatred for would be the Samaritans. Think to yourself, what are the groups I want to justify my hatred for? Yeah, love God, love my neighbor, but certainly not these people. Certainly not the people who agree with this political stance. Certainly not the people who believe this religious idea. Certainly not the people from this background. Certainly not the people who live like that. What's the group that you would want to make sure is not your neighbor? Or you wouldn't have to love them. But he wanted to justify himself. Religious people like to justify themselves. And when I use that word religious people, I mean it in the negative sense. You know, you got, you've got good religion and you've got bad religion. You know what I mean? In these circles, when we use the word that way, we mean a form of godliness, but not having God involved in it. You know, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he starts a parable. He's going to tell a story to try to get it to sink in. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So what's a good situation for here? There was a man attending the Wood City Music Festival. And he got out in the back where the cars were being parked and he got mugged. And he's just laying there. And they took everything he's got and he's all beat up and he can't, he can't get up and get some help himself. He's just laying there. Wouldn't that be terrible? Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So a pastor was going to get to his car, saw him there, thought, oh, I don't want to get messed up in this, gets in his car and drives away. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. And so one of the members of the worship team saw him and, ooh, got in their car and drove away. I don't want to get messed up in this. It's dark over there. Maybe there's some more people going to mug people. I'm just going to look the other way. Keep going. Verse 33. But a Samaritan. <laughs> I won't put the, the group in there, but you put the one that came up in your head. You put that in there. A Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this person who is from an unliked group, who's from the wrong background, who's been doing the wrong things, sees this person, takes him to the hospital. They don't have insurance. It says, well, just tell you what, if he can't pay, I'll take care of it. He needs some help. And he's there, spends an extra night. The guy's got other business he's got to attend to. So he goes to do that. And he says, I'll come back and check on him, make sure he's okay. The question is, who's the good guy? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Well, if we are to receive the love of God and reflect the love of God, the question is, who does Jesus love? If Jesus loves them, they're your neighbor. Because if Jesus loves them and we're with Jesus, we need to have the same attitude. We need to love them too. Now, does love someone mean you agree with them? No. 
I don't know how that got into our culture where you got to agree with everything in order to love somebody, but it's just a simple fact. You don't have to agree with somebody really on anything to love them. God loves people that he just thinks are doing everything wrong. He still loves them. He wants better for them. He wants freedom for them. He wants them to be walking in the truth. He can even be very unhappy and disgusted with what's going on, but he loves them. Let that never be mistaken. God loves them. Jesus loves them. So we, when we're loved by God, need to reflect that love to others. We love them too. So Jesus is saying that we don't get to pick and choose who we love. We are to love everyone. And I think it's a powerful thing that Jesus uses a Samaritan as an example of someone who's doing the right thing. He's really shaming this guy because he's not just saying you even need to love Samaritans. He's using Samaritans as the example of the ones who are doing better than the priests and the Levites. He's putting them up real high and thus saying to him, this Samaritan's doing better than you. In fact, this guy, he asks, who did the right thing? The one who had mercy on him. He doesn't say the Samaritan. I don't know if there's anything to do with that or not, but he doesn't say the Samaritan. He says the one who had mercy on him. Maybe he couldn't even bring himself to utter it. But there's a shaming there. Years ago, this is probably 15 years ago, I was listening to Christian radio, and I was listening to a pastor talk about something that happened in his church, his big mega church, probably thousands of people. It was so interesting. I I got home, I just stayed in my car and listened to it. And the guy was talking about a, this was in California, a gang member who had got saved and became a greeter at his church. So this super tatted up, mean looking dude is a greeter. You know, and he's one of the best greeters they've ever had and, and shaking hands with everybody and, and, uh, just really encouraging and super happy. And one of the staff pastors came to this pastor and he says, Hey, have you seen this guy lately? And he, he got to thinking like, you know, I haven't. He said, well, yeah, there's a reason for that is because he's not coming here anymore. And he said, Oh, okay. What's going on there? He said, well, I had a conversation with him. I don't want to tell you about my conversation. He said, there's nothing wrong with you guys. It's me. I was just under the wrong impression. I thought the church was something that it's not, so I'm sorry. I just just had something wrong. And the the staff pastor kept probing, well, what do you mean? What, What are you talking about? He said, well, you know, when I was in the gangs on the street, you know, we were all together and we had each other's back and we protected each other and we were like a family. And you know, I thought the church was going to be kind of like that. And I realized it's not just a bunch of people coming to thing, then they all go their separate ways. And so I was under the wrong impression. I'm sorry. Uh, this just isn't a place that works for me. And so then he left. And this pastor of this church of thousands of people, you could hear his voice crack as he's telling this story. And he's thinking, the gangs are a better family than the church. You could hear his voice He could hardly stand it. Is church an event? Well, sure. Is church a family? I hope so. It at least needs to be a community. It needs to be a community where you can find people. You're not going to get to know everybody. You're going to know every Christian on the planet. That's not going to happen. But you need to find some. Have a community. Have people that love you and care about you. And you can walk through life together. That's why it's so important to be part of a small group or serve on a ministry team or, or just 
ask somebody out for lunch or something. You know what I mean? Like get to know some people because we need to be working together because then we can love each other. Then the church can be the family of God and actually encourage and love one another. We can receive the love of God, but we need to reflect the love of God as well. All right, let's go to the unmerciful servant, the ungrateful servant. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. This is one of my very favorite parables. It's a powerful, powerful parable. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Is seven pretty good? How many of us get tired of forgiveness before we get to seven? You ever get tired at one? Certainly by three. You know, this isn't in the Bible. This is not a verse in the Bible. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? That means we're going to stop tolerating you at two. Seven? I think Peter's feeling pretty confident. Jesus is probably going to say, Peter, you're such a great guy. Three is plenty. He's probably overshooting the mark. You know what I mean? He's not wanting to look like a fool in front of Jesus. Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. What Jesus is saying here is don't count, just keep forgiving. Be a person of forgiveness. How many times does Jesus forgive you? Seven? After seven mistakes, boom, you're out. We'd last a week, right? That'd be that. (laughs) 77 times or 70 times seven. Again, it's not, Jesus isn't saying here's the bigger number. He's saying be a person of forgiveness. Keep forgiving. And then he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, a talent was a day's wage. So if you work 250 days a year, how many years worth of wages is that? He owed a lot, millions and millions of dollars. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all they had be sold to repay the debt. So he doesn't have close to what's going to pay that off. So he, his family, everything he has, they're going to be sold into slavery. All his stuff's going to be liquidated. And boom, that's that. Verse 26, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. What do you think the odds are he's actually going to be able to do that? If you're 10,000 talents behind, you're probably not real good at this. And so it's unlikely he's going to be successful. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He didn't say, okay, we'll do a 30-year payment plan. He says, you know what? I'm in a good mood today. You owe me nothing. Let's start over. How would you feel if you were $10 million in debt and you go to the bank Because your house is going to get taken, your car is going to get taken, and you say, look, hey, can we work something out? I'm good for this. I just want to be up front. And the bank says, you know what? Let's just take that off of there. Let's just be square now. You owe nothing. Let's just call it good. How would you feel if that happened? Wouldn't that be something? Now, what if somebody owed you 20 bucks? You paid for dinner last time. Now it's their turn. And you met up with them. How would you feel? 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is less than a day's wage. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Have you heard that before? 
But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Is there something wrong here? Does something feel funny here? This guy gets forgiven a huge debt, and he's going to hold somebody else to a debt that's owed. It's a legitimate debt, but it's a very, very small debt, and he's going to hold them to it. Then the other servants saw what had happened. They were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. So this was obvious to everyone that it was an injustice. It was obvious to everyone that this was a serious, serious problem. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So he puts the 10,000 back on him and puts them in prison to be tortured until he should pay back the millions of dollars. How much money do you make while you're in prison being tortured? This is a rough spot. The way you got out of debtor's prison was your friends bailed you out. How many friends do you think this guy has? This is Jesus. He says... He'll be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is very scary because the debt was taken away. What do you think that represents? That represents forgiveness, us being forgiven. And then this is him not offering forgiveness to someone else. And then all the sin being put back on him. Do we want to mess with that? I don't want to mess with that. Now, just in case we're confused, next verse. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Is this a serious deal? Forgiveness is a big deal. Forgiveness is very important. Remember, this whole story of the unmerciful servant was started by Peter asking, how many times should I forgive? Seven? And Jesus says, not seven. Seventy times seven. You need to take forgiveness seriously, not just seven times. This is a powerful, powerful thing that Jesus is saying. So he was happy to be forgiven the debt. He received He needed to reflect. He needed to give that out. He needed to give forgiveness now. He was willing to receive it. He had to give it. He did not. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? He refused to do that. Now, the point of this, of course, is that we must be people who forgive. We must be people who love others. I always want to be careful whenever I'm preaching along these lines that we make sure we understand that God is not calling you to be an enabler or to be abused or to put up with evil. You can go against that. Remember, Jesus says, turn the other cheek, but he also went and flipped the tables of the money changers over. Sometimes you've got to be the bigger person and absorb a little bit of abuse, but that's when the person is below you. It's when your seven-year-old calls you a name and throws a fit because you wouldn't let him have a cookie. Then you be the bigger person. Turn the other cheek. But if there's an abuse situation going on, you don't turn the other cheek to that. Then you're just enabling it. You're letting it continue. That's when Jesus flipped the tables of the money changers over and stepped in to stop things. On our everyday life, most of the time, you want to love, you want to forgive. Absolutely. But don't let evil be perpetuated because of that. That's how Jesus could tell the difference between when to turn the other cheek and when to flip the money changers tables over. What stops the cycle of darkness? 
Do I need to just take it and not escalate the situation? Okay. Do I need to intervene and change something? Okay. Whatever needs to happen to stop the cycle of darkness. We're talking about showing love when it's not deserved. We're talking about forgiving people when it's not deserved. Then hallelujah, let's do that. But don't get abused in the process. All right. So Jesus is saying that we should love people and forgive people. Is this new information for you? We don't want to be like the expert in the law who wanted to justify himself. He knew the answer. He just didn't want to do it. We want to know the answer. Love people, forgive people. And we also want to do it. And here's the deal. When Christians don't love people, it's an ugly thing to outsiders. When Christians won't forgive people, it's a bizarre hypocrisy. And it's just... It sickens people on the outside and it makes us look like fools and it makes our God look terrible. So we need to be people of love and of forgiveness. Everyone else on the planet can see that Christians should love others and forgive people. We need to do it. We need to live it out. We as Christians are people of the cross. I'm happy to be a person of the cross. I'm happy... To have a cross that is huge in the front of this sanctuary. A lot of Christians will wear crosses around their neck. We're people of the cross. And as people of the cross, we have some great benefits. There are tremendous benefits of being people of the cross. We have the benefit of receiving the love of God and receiving the forgiveness of God. We who trust in God, trust that he loves us. And we receive that. And we trust that the blood of Christ is sufficient for us to be perfectly forgiven. You may not be perfect, but you can be perfectly forgiven. Because it's not up to you, it's up to the blood of Christ. There's theology for that. They call it positional sanctification versus actual sanctification. And then when you go to heaven, you have final sanctification. I've learned these things. Positional sanctification means you're just positioning yourself under the forgiveness of God. You may not be perfect, but you're perfectly forgiven. Then you try to get to actual sanctification, which means you're just living completely right before God and people. We try to get there. Man, we fall short. Then I believe in heaven, we are brought into that final sanctification, which is sanctification in its fullness. We're brought into the character of God. So the great benefits of being people of the cross include the love of God for us, the forgiveness of God, and so many other things. But there are also responsibilities of being people of the cross. And that is that we're to bring the love of God to this world. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We do bring that love to people who don't know that God loves them. There's people out there that think God hates them. If you're talking to somebody and you invite them to church and they say something like, yeah, if I went in there, I'd burst into flames. You just keep loving them. And you say, nah, God's not like that. Why don't you come and see? We have a responsibility to bring the love of God to this world. And we have a responsibility to demonstrate the forgiveness of God to this world. We want to receive the good things of the cross. And we want to share the good things of the cross with this world. Do you need to receive Do you need to know that God really loves you? Don't leave that on the table. Receive that. Do you need forgiveness of sins so that you can be sure 
of positional sanctification made right in the eyes of God so that you can know your sins are forgiven and you have everlasting life, I'll give you a chance to receive that. Or do you need to reflect the love of God to someone? Demonstrate the forgiveness of God in a situation. First receive. Freely you have received, then freely give. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great plan of redemption. Thank you, Father, that you take the wounded, the broken, the guilty, and you make us clean, and you set us free. Hallelujah for that. Lord, for those in here who need a revelation of the love you have for them, a fatherly love, a pure love, a grounded love, a steady, unshakable, eternal love, Lord, let them receive it. Let them understand it. Let them feel it. Give them a revelation of that love right now. We give you thanks for the forgiveness that you've offered us. We give you thanks, Lord, for the kindness that you've shown and for your love. And Lord, we all, all of us in here, have a responsibility to bring your love to this world. Lord, to be people who show compassion for others. To be people who step up and help a stranger like the Good Samaritan. Lord, to be people who notice And instead of walking the other way, step in and make a difference. And Lord, you call us to be people who demonstrate the forgiveness that you've given us. You call us to demonstrate forgiveness. So Lord, let us as people of the cross walk in love, walk in forgiveness, demonstrate your love, demonstrate your forgiveness. Lord, help us to represent you well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.